0: Good morning. Why don't y'all go on ahead and uh, stand with me as we prepare to read God's Word. Uh, before we dive in, first of all, for those of y'all that it's your first time here, um, we're so glad that you're here. For those of y'all that haven't uh, been at church in a while, or you feel like, hey, I'm still trying to make sense of this whole Christianity and God thing, we want you to know that uh, we are so glad that you're here. We're, we're welcome. We hope that your time here has been good thus far and that the rest of the time here will be fruitful and helpful. If there's any way that we can serve you, please uh, let us know. A quick word, members, uh, right after church, uh, 1 p.m., we're going to have a meeting here. Six times per year it's a time for us to talk about what goes on in the life of the church. So if you're a guest here or it is your first time and all those nice words that I said about how we love you and we want to serve you, uh, we do want to serve you. Right after church, um, 46 times out of the year. So the other six times, like this week at 1 o'clock, we've really got to get to work. So if you feel like we're not hospitable, um, come back next week, and I promise we'll be much, much better. Um, Proverbs chapter 1, starting in verse, verse 20. Why don't you read with me? Wisdom calls out in the street. She makes her voice heard in the public squares. She cries out above the commotion. She speaks at the entrance of the city gates. How long, inexperienced ones, will you love ignorance? How long will you mockers enjoy mocking and you fools hate knowledge? If you respond to my warning, then I will pour out my spirit on you and teach you my word. Since I called out to you and you refused. Extended my hand and no one paid attention. Since you neglected all my counsel and did not accept my corrections. I in turn will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind. When trouble and stress overcome you. Then they will call me, but I won't answer. They will search for me, but won't find me. Because they hated knowledge, didn't choose to fear the Lord, were not interested in my counsel, and rejected all my correction. They will eat the fruit of their way and be glutted with their own schemes. For the apostasy of the inexperienced will kill them. And the complacency of fools will destroy them. But whoever listens to me will live securely and be undisturbed by the dread of danger. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that even as you warn us, you invite us to come close, Father. Your words are Harsh at times, but they are true, and they're our source of life. Help us to pay attention to you and enjoy the security of what it must be like to live without the dread of danger that we're so often scared of, Father. We pray that you would make us wise through your scriptures. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I invite you to take your seat. I promise you, there's good news at the end. So, um, if you heard that and felt like, "Ah, John, I thought you said today was a good day for those who were far from God to come to church," it is. There's very, very good news in this text. Uh, once again, we're so glad to have you. We're continuing in our series in the book of Proverbs. We started last week, and we'll be in this book uh, for the next 14 weeks, clear through the end of the year. And this book is all about wisdom—how to make the best choices, and like we talked about last week, uh, life, as much as we would like to think that it is, uh, is not defined so much by our major choices. We make very few major choices in life. We make a bunch of minor choices that have major consequences. More than what kind of person should I become, what should I think, what should I believe, the questions that we ask often is, what should I do? What should I do about this conflict in my marriage? What should I do about my unfulfilling sex life? What should I do about the prospects in dating? What should I do about my job that seems to be going nowhere? What should I do about my family members that are getting on my nerves? What should I do? We need wisdom. Wisdom is basically the skill to live life well. We all need it. There's nobody in here that doesn't need it. Uh, And we all need it in every area of our lives. Regardless of how much preparation you put into marriage, you'll find yourself in marriage saying, what should I do about this? Regardless of how much prep you put into your job, into your work, into your friendships, you're going to find yourself saying, what should I do about this? And what you're quickly going to find out is that even if you work on your character, even if you're a moral person good character doesn't stop you from making very bad choices. And the bad choices that you make can wreck your life and everybody else's life around you. You can have the best intentions to help and add it, but if you go about that unwisely, you can ruin their lives. You can have the best of intentions to help somebody that's struggling in their marriage, but if you go about it the wrong way, you can end up messing up Their lives. And what we quickly find out is that there's not rules. There's not just principles that we can apply. It's not like I just need to do everything that somebody else does. Life moves around and we need wisdom for every situation that we face. Without it, what you'll do is you'll take advice that you should throw away. Which is like drinking spoiled milk. Without it, you'll throw away advice that you should take, which is like throwing out a winning lottery ticket. We need it, and the good news that I have is that it's here, it's all through this book. This book is uniquely designed to help you and I grow in wisdom. And like we talked about last week, that journey is a long journey, but it begins with a few first step. So this is going to be part two of what we did last week. That if we don't get these truths, then we're going to misuse this book. And I want us to use this book well, so it's important that you and I have this grid as we think about God's wisdom. First things first, context. Uh, this first part may feel like last week where you know, uh, it feels maybe a little bit teachy, but it's just trying to make sure that we're all on the same page as we come to this book, especially since for the next three months, that's what we're going to spend our time on today. Wisdom is designed to help us do two things, y'all. It's designed to help us avoid trouble and to address trouble when it comes. It's designed so you and I will steer clear of things that will shipwreck us and If we end up steering into an obstacle, wisdom helps us to get around it. This book is a compilation of wisdom, right? It's not a composition. It's not like Solomon sat down and said, Today, I'm going to write proverbs about all of life. That's not how wisdom works. There's one guy that said this, a proverb is a short sentence built on long experience. Good judgment comes from experience. Experience comes from bad judgment. So there's a group of folks throughout all history that have compiled these certain truths, and Solomon writes some new ones, but he compiles some of his own, and that's how we see this book. All truth is God's truth, But this book is uniquely designed to lead us to a certain place. And last week the main point that I really wanted to drive home, that I wanted us to get is this. In order to walk wisely in this world, you have to walk closely with God. Wisdom is made up of two things. Observation, revelation. Observation is just things that you can see about the world. Things that you can get with your senses. Observation answers the questions how and when. So there are folks in this world that may not walk closely with the Lord, but they seem wise. They know how to make lots of money. They know when to invest. They know when to pull out. They know all of these things. And that is part of wisdom. So we don't want to discount that wisdom, but wisdom is not just that. There's a Revelation aspect. If observation is how and when, wisdom is who and why. Observation says this. I can tell you how to make a lot of money, and there's lots of folks that can. Revelation from God's word says this. Here's why money makes a terrible God. Here's why money is not the thing that you should build your self-worth on. Wisdom. Has to have both of those. And in order for us to really get it, to really grasp it, we have to fear the Lord. I know that sounds like a lot of review. I just want to make sure we're on the same page as we dive here. Starting in verse 20, this text that we read. uh, The very first thing that I want you to get is this. When it comes to wisdom, it is most helpful if we think of wisdom not as a what, but a who. It's helpful if we think of wisdom not as principles that we have to get, but a person. Right? There's this tool in poetry called personification. And all that that is, is you give human-like qualities to something that's not human. You give a voice to something that doesn't have a voice, and that helps you and I know how it is that we are to relate to these things when proverbs talk about wisdom look there at verse 20 it says this look wisdom calls out in the streets. she makes her voice heard in the public squares she cries out above the commotion she speaks at the entrance of the city gates it's helpful if you and I think of wisdom not as a what but as a who because if we think of it as a who, it's really going to help us embrace this. Like we talked about last week, Solomon likely wrote this book for a boys' school to teach them how it is that they are to rule when they are kings. So as he talks about wisdom, he's going to say that she's, or it's a she so that these young boys have a sense of, oh, I need to go after wisdom. Like I go after that girl that I like. I need to run after her. So what he's going to do is he's going to give us qualities of wisdom. And I just want to run through this really quick, right? The very first thing that we see is this. Wisdom is, is persistent. You see that in verse 20 and 21? Everywhere. She's trying to make sure that folks get a whiff of her. She's trying to make sure that people see her, that they hear her on the streets to those that pass by, in the squares where there's this exchange of ideas. That verse above in verse 21, that word, it literally means she is climbing on the top of the walls trying to get the attention of everybody else that's talking. Wisdom is persistent. Not only is she persistent, wisdom is, is, is passionate, right? It says here, she calls out. She makes her voice heard. She, she cries out. There's nothing passive. She's not dainty in the sense that we would think. She's confident in what it is that she has to say. Not only is she passionate, but hear this. She's compassionate. So she's crying out, but look at the people that she addresses in verse 22. How long, inexperienced ones, will you love your ignorance? She's lamenting. She is sad because she wants something, wisdom, want something for us that it seems like we don't want not only is she compassionate but she's confrontational verse 23 right if you accept my warnings and throughout this text right it seems harsh but what she's saying is no, no there's an order to the way that this world works and you will reap what you sow and she's begging people to listen Wisdom is concerned about our prosperity. And so when you read this, what you quickly find out is that all of these characteristics, persistence, going out of their way to talk to you, passion, speaking loudly and forcefully, compassion, confrontation, all of those are true about God himself. Wisdom here is not just principles that we know this is a picture of God and what it is that God wants for people. What it is that God wants for you. And I just want you to hear this. Listen, God doesn't just speak to people that have their act together. God is speaking to people, going out of his way, trying to get the attention, not just the folks that have wisdom, but those that need it. So if you're here and you said, John, I agree with all of what you said, I really need wisdom. Regardless of where you fall, if you're not a Christian, if you haven't been to church in a while, if you've just made your way here and you're still unsure, you could not have picked a better day to come. Because this text is addressed to you. You may say, well, John, I don't want this text to be addressed to me because it feels kind of angry. Listen, anger is not something that you should be scared of. Anger reveals the presence of love. Anger reveals there's something that I want, there's something that I hope that they get, and I'm being robbed of what I want, so I'm mad what you should be scared of more than anger is apathy silence. Because that reveals I don't care so I'm not going to speak. The only reason why God speaks and warns all of us is because he loves us. But his frustration here in this text is even though he's going out of his way to speak we aren't listening. And you see the frustration, if not here in the text, you've seen it on the front page of every newspaper. As you scroll through social media this past week, if you've, as you've turned on the news, what you've seen are, regardless of your political stance or where you fall on the appointment of the potential Supreme Court judge, what you've seen are or are, are Women crying out, begging to be heard, going out of their way, confronting people in elevators and feeling as if they're being completely ignored. This is the picture that he's painting here. Wisdom is calling out. All we have to do is to respond. And just a side note here, if you read God's word and you feel like that the Bible is chauvinistic, it's written for men, it's patriarchal. The most important character in the book of Proverbs is this woman wisdom. That as God is revealing the wisdom that he has, he chooses a feminine pronoun. One, if anything, what that should do is it should remind us that men and women are equal in the sight of God. Men and women both display aspects of the image and dignity and nature of God. He's training these young boys go after wisdom like you would go after a wife. Don't let her go. Spare no expense. Respond to her call. Listen and I say all of this just to, and I want you to hear me. God desires to have a relationship with you. He's not trying to hide from you. Wisdom is not a thing that is reserved for a secret society of people. It's not a thing that's reserved for a special class of person. It's a thing that's available to all of us if we would just listen. And so what I'm going to beg you to do for the last 30 minutes if I make my time today is just listen. Put down your phone. Don't make grocery lists. Don't think about what you have to do when this is all done. That will be there. If you have the password to our Wi-Fi, don't try to cipher off Wi-Fi, checking your timelines and all of that. Just, just listen. I'm begging you like wisdom is begging you. Listen. Wisdom is not a what, but it is a who. Now. What you and I can tend to do is we can tend to treat words as synonymous that aren't, and we can mess things up. So we can confuse wisdom with intelligence, right? Intelligence is all about there are principles that I have to know that I have to master. And the reason why I said wisdom is not principles but a person is because you can know a bunch of facts about a person and not know a person. Right. (laughs) Knowing a person is about, listen, it's about intimacy, not intelligence. Wisdom is not about how much you know. Wisdom is about who you know. And so here's the main point. Here's what I really want to drive home here, and that is this wisdom is not about what you know but who you listen to. Wisdom is not about what you know but who you listen to. All right, I'm going to explain what I mean right here. Wisdom is all about a relationship with God, but not just any relationship, a particular kind of relationship, a relationship. Where God initiates and you respond. Where God sets the agenda and we respond to what God says. Right? So look here at this text. Look at the words here. Verse 20, 21. Wisdom calls out. She makes her voice heard. She cries out. She speaks. And do you know what she pleads for? Verse 23. A a response. Wisdom or God wants a relationship on his terms, not your terms. She's pleading for a response. Look here at verse 23. If you respond to my warning, then I will pour out my spirit on you and teach you my words. It's not just an invite for you and I to respond. He actually promises blessing. That if we heed God, if we hear him, if we go to him First, if we make him the absolute center of absolutely everything in our lives, and we sign on and commit to his agenda for our life, before we know the details, he promises blessing. Not just that, but he says, hey, but if you don't do that, there will be trouble. Verse 24, look, since I called out and you refused, Extended my hand and no one paid attention. Since you neglected all my counsel and did not accept my correction, I in turn will laugh, in this word right here, at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm. And listen, your calamity comes like a whirlwind. When trouble and stress overcome you, then they will call me. But I won't answer. They'll search for me. They won't find me because they hated knowledge and did not choose to fear the Lord. Here's the point that he's starting to make right there. When he says your calamity, he's not just starting to talk about the trouble that just comes with life. We all have that trouble that comes with life that we did not earn. He's specifically saying here, when when this trouble comes, that's specifically tied back to the fact that you didn't listen, not going to be there for you. All right. He wants it on his terms. He promises us a blessing. And then he even says, if we don't, here are the consequences. But then you get to verse 28, and it says, here, look. Then they'll call for me. Then they'll search for me. And you would say, well, I thought that he wanted relationship. But the reason why he says that he's not going to answer, and they won't find him, is because there is a particular kind of relationship that God wants. He wants to walk closely with you, but he wants to be the line leader. He wants to set the agenda. And what you have here are a group of folks who say, I'm fine with being in relationship with God, so long as I don't have to pay attention to what he says, but when I need him, I can call him. That is how you treat a waiter. That is how you treat a butler. That's not how you treat the God of the universe. And so what he's saying is, God's saying is, that's not going to work. Wisdom is saying, and I was really helped this past week by Lynn. Uh, Lynn read this text, and what she said is like, it seems like, What's being said here is God saying, listen to me, because if you don't, you'll wish that you had. Wisdom is crying out in desperation for all of us to pay attention. But make no mistake, wisdom is not desperate. She is not the person that will sit at home waiting on the people that treated her like trash to call her back. Wisdom knows she has something to offer. God is calling out to you, initiating relationship with you so that he can help you. He's crying out to help. And what he's saying right here is that when God, if God's cries to help are ignored, our cries for help will be ignored. It's this thing that we call justice. The purpose of this book is to lay out there's an order to which God has orchestrated the universe. Justice. It's this thing that we don't like to be on the end or on the wrong end of, but a thing that we know is right and something that we know is true. And we see this all across the board, not just justice, but this retributive justice, or this you getting exactly what you gave, or you reaping what you sow. We see it in the Bible. Adam and Eve sin by eating, and what God says is, hey, all your eating is going to be done by hard work. Cain sins by giving God second-rate crops, not his best. God says you're going to be a wanderer and a nomad, which means you're never going to get to farm again because you're constantly going to be on the move. Jacob tricks his brother. He in turn gets tricked. Israel complains to God that they don't have meat. God gives them so much meat that they say we want to be vegans. (laughs) David commits adultery with somebody's wife and kills her or kills him. God says, David, the latter years of your life are going to play out the same way with your wives. And so it's this thing where it's like, we hear that and we fear it. But then, you and I know that it's true on the inside, right? Have y'all, do y'all have that friend where you send them text after text after text, and they do not respond? and then their name pops up on your screen and you're like, they responded but their response has nothing to do with the 16 texts that you sent but just, I need your help what's the first thing that you do on the inside? I ain't going to text them back (laughs) you want to give them this retributive justice and if you're like, well John, I don't have that friend it's probably because you are that friend there's grace for you as well. Listen. It's not just that God feels, feels that. It's not just that we feel it when we're the victims. Even victimizers, when they're honest, feel the exact same thing. The Atlantic just did a story on recidivism. Guys that get out of jail how the system's really set up for them to repeat the offense and land back in it. And they did this story on this guy by the name of John Bobbitt, who was in jail, has got out of jail, has been out of jail for 15 years, and he's getting ready to go back in facing a 20-year sentence uh, for selling cocaine, the very thing that put him in jail. He talked about the injustices that exist. He talked about it was so hard. I got a family with five kids, and the only job I can get is trying to make nine bucks an hour at Walmart. So we talked about the injustices, but then as he sat down with his kids, do you know what he shared with them? He says, whenever I sit down with my kids, I try to talk to them about personal responsibility. Here's what he says. When they say you reap what you sow, that's my life right now. I don't know whose lives I hurt by selling drugs, but now I'm on the other side watching my family go through what maybe they saw their family go through. I don't wish that on anybody. So the Bible says justice is right and good. When we're victimized, we say that it's right and good. Even victimizers, When they sit down and they have to be frank with themselves, they say, this justice is right and good. Verse 26 says, I in turn will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. You may be here for those of y'all that haven't been in church for a bit who don't know where you stand with God, you may say, well, see, John, I look at this, and and folks say all this stuff about this good God, a gracious God, but at the end of the day, um, I can't really serve a God like that that's petty. I I can't serve a God that would laugh at somebody when they're down. See, the Bible's not all good. This God is not good. And I just want to explain what this means. That it's not so much that God is... Petty, saying, I told you so, laughing. Ezekiel 3, er, er, 33 is clear. Look, God takes no pleasure in the destruction of the wicked. This starts off with God compassionately pleading for us to pay attention. What it is, though, is this God is not going to apologize for justice as if it's a character flaw. He's going to rejoice in it as if it's a perfection that we all should know is good. This laughter is the internal satisfaction that takes place when good triumphs over evil. This laughter is that the defeat of evil in this world is going to be so overwhelming that it's comical. That's what it's trying to get at here. My parents are Nigerian. I root for Nigeria whenever they're playing in the Olympics in basketball. A few years ago, they played the U.S., and they lost by a record margin. I think it was like 80 points. Though I'm Nigerian, it runs through my blood. Though we are an ethnocentric people, I couldn't help but to turn on the TV and laugh. The defeat was so overwhelming, it was calm. I'm, I'm, that's what's here. God is just rejoicing in good that triumphs over evil. Wisdom is warning us. Listen, y'all. There are actual and real consequences for our disobedience, for our failure to listen and to do what God has said. There are real rewards for it, but this text is majoring on the fact that there are consequences. And listen, those consequences should be enough to make us turn. They're enough now where we sit here and we think, I should turn. I shouldn't want those things. I should listen. But what we quickly find out is that that fear about things that go wrong, although it can make us know that we need to turn around, it's not enough to actually fuel a change. Hellfire and brimstone God's justice can be preached and should be preached. However, that alone is not going to do the work in our hearts that are needed to make us change. You can't just leave out of here and say, I should listen to God more. Do you know why? Because there are other voices in your head and in your heart. And those voices are circumstances. And circumstances are deceptive. When things go well, prosperity, it has a way of making you and I believe that things go well because of what I did. And because of what I did, I can ensure that things continue to go well. Look here in this text. The only thing that makes this group of people that are complacent, that are fine with how life is right now, the only thing that makes them turn to God is trouble, tragedy. And then once they face that, like we all do, they cry out to to God. There's some of us that are here right now because we're in the midst of frustration and trouble, and we're saying, I just need God, so maybe I'm going to try church again. The problem is, if that's the only motivation, based on this text at least, it doesn't seem like that's very good news. Listen, listening to God is not just about clarity. It is about trust. The creator of words doesn't have a problem using them effectively. The problem in the Bible, the problem in your life when it comes to God has never been about clarity. It's never been about, well, I just don't know what God wants me to do. It's never been about ignorance. It's been about arrogance, which is our love of that ignorance. That I know God wants something from me, but my life is really starting to go well right now, so I really don't need God and and we stay away from Him, right? He's saying, look, God's saying I called out, but you refused. You weren't Interested in what I had to say. As far as clarity goes, this text is clear. What I've done for the past 30 minutes so far, you have not needed me to do. Here is this text in one sentence Listen to God's wisdom, or else life will crumble eventually and He won't listen to you. That's clear. But we still struggle to listen. We failed to respond to God because we failed to trust him. And the reason why we failed to trust him is because we have so many other things in our life that we trust. There's some of us here in this room that uh, what you trust in is your beauty. You don't have to listen to what God says about how you should conduct yourself in relationship because you've learned to rely on that. You've learned to rely on your smile. You've learned to rely on your good looks. You've learned that when you walk into a room, people stare at you. You've learned that you can go around the opposite gender and get whatever you want and life goes well for you and you're fine. There's not really a care in the world right now. You feel full, at least for the time being. There's some of us in here that You've learned that money is your security. You're working really hard and you are getting promotion after promotion on your job and you're buying stuff that you need and you don't have the same cares and concerns as the people that are around you and you feel good and you feel fine and life is good. You're working hard and you're prospering. There's some of your status has been your thing. You've worked so hard to be seen as impressive in the eyes of so many people that now you've gotten that. And you found yourself free from the obligations the people that don't have that yet. You don't have to return calls and people get it. You don't have to serve and people understand because you're busy. People are impressed with you. They talk about you. They lift you up. You get retweeted and liked. But those things are hollow. And you'll know that you really, really, really trust in them because one day you will, you're going to lose all of those things. And the test of trust is when I lose it, Am I going to be sad, which we should be when we lose good things, or is it going to be devastating? Am I going to feel like I can't live, I can't go on, or I'm sad but my life was not built on it? There may be some of y'all in here that say, John, that sounds nice, but as I think about life, I don't think about the things that I have. I think about all the things that I don't have. I don't have beauty. I don't have... Money, I don't have status. Listen. Pride will lead us to put our hope in things that we have that bring us security. But pride will also lead us to put our hope in things that we don't have. And do you know what that's called? Insecurity. Look at your insecurities and you'll find what you hope in. If you're insecure about your beauty or the way that you look and that's the driving thought and you do all that you can to try to make yourself beautiful just so that you'll feel this sense of worth. All that you're saying is if I really had that covered then I would feel full. If you are not succeeding in your job and you feel like I just need to work, I just need a promotion, I'm insecure about where I am, then you're trying to find security in your work. And though you don't have it, you think that if I have that, that's where my security's go, go, going to be. And you may spend your time praying, calling out to God, trying to ask him to help you fix that, not knowing that your prayers for God to fix that is still you setting the agenda. It's still you asking God to come alongside. It's still you saying, I don't trust what you say should be the source of my completion or satisfaction. I trust what I say. And I'm mad at you because you have not given me what I wanted. Uh And we change. We exchange the glory of the God that created the world and his agenda for straight teeth. We exchanged the glory of the God that created the world for a few inches off our waistline. We exchanged the glory of the God that created the world for a few more dollars in our bank account. And we testified to the rest of the world that this is where hope, this is what is found in. Listen, asking God for help to deal with the insecurities that you have by making, making them better is you asking God, God, help me find security in something that's not you. That's setting the agenda. That's not hearing God. And we do that Because we don't trust them. It's not that God has failed to talk about how good he is. It's not that God has failed to talk about the consequences that come from that. It's not that God has failed to promise us a reward for its blessings. It's us saying, I do not trust you. And so what I want you to do here today, is right now, stop praying about those things right now. And you can be honest with God. And you can say, God, it's not that I'm just not doing what you said. It's that I don't trust you because of. And name it. Name the reason why you don't trust them. Because once you name it, once you expose it, then do you know what the Lord's going to do? He's going to take you to the person of Jesus. Verse 33 here says this, listen. But whoever listens to me will live securely and be undisturbed by the dread of danger. We aren't the ones that have listened to God, but there is one who has, Jesus. Jesus came into the world with wisdom, the gospel of Luke says that he was born and he grew in this wisdom. So much so that at 12 years old, he's sitting with the people that have studied God's word their whole life, and they are amazed by his wisdom. He came preaching with the authority of God. And do you know what people said when they saw what he could do? Heal me. Make me walk. Cure my blindness. Feed me. People see God's wisdom in the flesh And they're continuing to set the agenda for him. And when Jesus doesn't get in line with the demands that people have, though we listen to God perfectly, they come up with a plan to kill him. And so what he does, on the night before he dies, this Jesus goes into a garden, much like the one that Adam and Eve were in, where they were tempted not to trust God. And on his knees... He is praying, and God is crystal clear that his will for Jesus is for him to go to a brutal death. And for an hour, Jesus is wrestling with God in prayer, who God is being very, very clear. And Jesus gets up, and he says, I know that you're clear. I know that it will lead to my death. But God, I'm not going to set the agenda. Not my will, but your will. And he gets up, and the rest of the gospel show us this Jesus that is undisturbed by the dreaded danger. This Jesus finds himself on a cross, although he listened to God fully. While being on that cross, people mock him as somebody who didn't hear from God two criminals that are on the side of him, hear these words from Luke. Then one of the criminals hanging there began to yell insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Look, save yourself and us. Somebody else crying out for God to fulfill their agenda. But look here, but the other answered, rebuking him. Don't you even fear God since you are undergoing the same punishment We are punished justly because we are getting back what we deserve for the things we did. But this man has done nothing. And while the crowds mocked him and laughed at him. Do you know what Jesus did on that cross? He took verse 28 for you. Verse 28 in Proverbs says this. Then they will call me, but I won't answer. They will search for me, but won't find me. The one who listened to God perfectly did what God said that he would do. He cries out, Father, why have you forsaken me? Jesus stands in our place. We should have been the ones crying out, say, God, why why don't you answer me? And God should have pointed back and said, because I told you that I wouldn't because you didn't listen to me. Jesus listened to God. And on that cross, he experienced God's silence. Why? For you. For you. For for us. So that we could learn the lesson of wisdom without having to pay for it. People will give you advice. Complex will give you principles about wisdom, or how to find your joy. Mentors will tell you what to do. But tell me, y'all. Tell me, who would trade places with you after you spurned the advice that they gave? Nobody. But Jesus has. Listen. If somebody would do that for you, would you finally trust them? If somebody was willing to take the punishment that you deserve and prove to you that they don't want anything from you, but they want something for you, would you trust them? Jesus has done that for us so that we would trust Him, so that we would feel this freedom to listen to all of what He has to say, so that we would be reminded this, your relationship to wisdom, Begins with your response to Jesus. Will you trust him? Will you treat him like Solomon wants us to treat woman wisdom and marry her? When you marry somebody, what you say is, I agree from this day forward to give myself completely to you for better or poor, for better or worse, for rich or poor in sickness and in health as long as we both shall live. And you sign your lives over to them only to discover later on all of what that will entail. But the rest of it doesn't matter because you trust them. I don't want you to sit here and say, I'll trust Jesus if he works through and gives me what i That's not how this thing works. If Proverbs, if God's wisdom is ever going to be any good to you, it has to begin with you trusting him fully, completely, with no reservations, right here and right now. That's the only way you'll ever listen and do the hard things that he says. Because you know, even if I do these hard things that attack my securities, that attack the hope of me getting my insecurities resolved here in this life, ultimately, in the end, it will work out for me. Jesus has traded places with you. He's raised from the dead, showing us that death is not our destination. So even if obedience to Him feels like It's going to be the end of your dreams, of your goals, of your desires. The very God that raised a man from the dead to live eternally can raise those hopes, those dreams, those desires in a way that's perfect. And what I love about this text is even though it comes as a harsh warning, it ends with an invitation. None of this has taken place to the person that she's warning. She speaks harshly so that you and I would know the urgency of right now saying, Lord, I trust you. And if you don't trust me and you don't trust the words of this page, there's about 260 of us that are members of this church that have seen This God who shouldn't have answered us when we cried out. Answer us. Who the only reason that we cried out was because we were in trouble, but because of his mercy, he answered us. And today, if you don't believe me or God's word or them, we're going to hear from two of our sisters in baptism as they talk about their story of what God has done for them. You can trust Jesus. You can trust him completely. Sign your name on the dotted line. And then the rest of this book will make sense. Let's pray. Father, again, we come to your word grateful for the work of your son. Father, help us to celebrate and to rejoice in it. Father, I pray that you would help us to take our insecurities to you. The reasons why we don't trust you, I pray that we would name them and that through your son, you would speak. Uh, just about how foolish um, those things are, Father. Help us to be reminded that you don't just want something from us, but you want something for us, and we can trust that. Help us to trust it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.